As Dave said, we are in our series. We're in week three of our series called No Other Name, looking at the names of Jesus. In week one, we spoke about Yahweh Elohim, the Lord of Lords. Last week, uh, Ash spoke about Yahweh Ra, the Lord is our shepherd. This week, we are talking about Yahweh Shalom, the Lord our peace. Uh, When you think about this idea of peace, we've already been thinking about it in our time of worship this morning. But when you think about peace, a whole lot of things, I reckon, come to mind. I mean, you might say that peace is this absence of war or a lack of conflict or violence. Uh, You might say that peace is that soulful feeling that you get that when you know that you've made a difference in our world. You might think that peace is that clean, quiet scene after a big storm has finally died down and there's that moment where everything is at rest. You might think that peace is getting lost in the lyrics of of your favourite song and that that just great feeling that you get. You might think, uh, if you're a parent, you might think that peace is when your child does what they're told to do when you ask them to do it. Uh, Other parents, you might actually say that peace is when you drop the kids off at the grandparents' house for a couple of hours. Uh, So my point is here that when we talk about peace, there is a whole lot of different things that come to our mind. I love um, going away on holidays and I like sharing those experiences with friends. And quite a few years ago now, my wife and I, we had the opportunity to go over to Thailand with a couple of friends on holidays. Now, Normally, I'd be going for like a a mission trip with a small team or something like that, but this particular holiday was just one of those relaxing times. It was just a rest and relaxation, getaway holiday. And we we ended up staying on the island of Phuket at a really, really nice resort. I mean, this place had all the bells and whistles, right? So um, when we arrived there, we got offered a cool drink and then, you know, we checked in and then we got chauffeured in a a little golf buggy to our room. You know when that happens, you're going to have a good time at this place you're staying at, right? Um, The environment was great. There was no noise. It was nicely isolated from the hustle and bustle of the city. Everything about this place screamed tranquil, relaxing, peaceful, rejuvenating, reinvigorating, refreshing, whatever word you want to use. It was this place where you were going to get at least some of that. And so having said all of that, I was really excited. This is going to be a relaxing holiday. And it was a beautiful place to stay. And I did have moments of relaxation. But I want to tell you, I found myself in a bit of a tricky place. Every day while I was on my week-long holiday there with my friends, I suffered from a condition. And it was called holiday FOMO. Has anyone else had holiday FOMO? Let me explain a bit more. Um, With so many options of enticing things to do, uh, with so many things that I myself had on my agenda, on my list that I wanted to tick off to do, coupled with all the experiences that not only my wife but my friends were involved in, I had this, this unsettling feeling that I was missing out on something. You know, it would hurt me to know that here I was when I was off playing a game of golf that Cherie was taking advantage of the spa and the sauna facilities. It would hurt me to know that, um, you know, if I was lounging by the pool having a nice drink, reading reading a book or something like that, that my friends were off playing a game of tennis. I just had this feeling that wasn't settled within me. I found it hard to have a peace inside. And every step of my holiday, while something was kind of in in a state of peace, there was also something that was kind of out of this state of peace, this this state of uh, out of alignment. I never experienced a wholeness. 
And I reckon when it comes to thinking about our lives today, this is commonplace. You know, I think it's probably fair for us to say that when you think about the different seasons in your own life, you'd be able to identify different periods of time, different experiences that you would describe as not being peaceful things. It's probably fair to say that, you know, if you have an argument with a friend or a spouse, that's not very peaceful. Uh, There's a workplace situation where there's some sort of conflict about what the way to do something. That can often not be peaceful. Maybe there's an addiction, negative thoughts, there's worry, there's stress, a financial situation. It's probably fair to say that all of these kind of things, we wouldn't describe them as peaceful times or peaceful situations in our lives. And to top it all off then, we've got to realise as well that we live in a world where a lot of things are always on, on, on and go, go, go and rush, rush, rush and busyness is is there amongst us. And so before we even begin to deal with that thing that is not in peace in our lives, we have to kind of navigate the waters of change that that are about this, this kind of climate of restlessness that exists all around us. You see, we struggle to find peace, we struggle to have peace, and we struggle to know and to be at peace in our lives. The state that we find ourselves in is one that can be unfinished, unsettled, discontent, disturbed even. And so what can we do about this? Because I haven't met anyone that, uh, that says to me, you know, well, give, give me a whole bucket of stress. I will keep that. I will hold on to that. That's something that I want in my life. I haven't met anyone who is like that. How do we get from this place of, of noise and irritation to a place of peace? How do we remove the conflict or how do we work through that so that all that is left is this deep sense of peace that belongs in our lives? Yahweh Shalom, this is the the name of God that we are looking at this morning. And you might have heard of this word before, Shalom. It's the most common understanding of it. The Hebrew word for this refers to a person who is uninjured, safe, whole, and sound. And Shalom can refer to a person's well-being. It's actually a common expression that's used to, to greet people and to say both hello and goodbye to someone. But when you actually greet someone using the word Shalom, you're not actually just saying hello or goodbye. You're actually uh, greeting them and saying, may you be well in every sense of the word. May you be prosperous. May you be satisfied. May you be healthy. May you be content in your own life, in, in your relationship with others and your relationship with God. In the Hebrew Bible, the word shalom is used about 250 times in the Old Testament. About 10% of the time it's used as that greeting for shalom. About 25% of the time it's referred to in relation to the absence of conflict. But then about 65% of the time in the Old Testament when the word shalom is used, it refers to this idea of completeness, this idea of wholeness, of maturity, of well-being overall, whether it's emotionally, physically, relationally. And so the biblical idea of shalom means this state of wholeness or completeness. Pastor and renowned author Tim Keller, he, he says that shalom means complete reconciliation, a state of the fullest flourishing in every dimension, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual. See, shalom is the state, the original state that God intended his creation to be in. 
In Genesis 1.31, when God finished creating the heavens and everything that was living, he stepped back and he said, it was very good. Everything was as he intended it to be. Everything was complete. Everything was whole. Everything was flourishing. But for us today, it's a different story. Our current state on earth is not one of completeness. There are many things that are not in a state of shalom here on earth. Countries are at war. We see mental health problems. We see addiction rampant. We see relationships fractured at at every level. Many things, many cases and many situations where shalom has broken down. And in the book of Judges this morning from the Old Testament, we see an example of the latter two ways of using shalom here as far as completeness and wholeness. And the story is about a guy named Gideon, and it comes from Judges chapter 6. And we're not going to read the entire story this morning, but basically at this point of time, before we get to our reading, um, the Israelites, have, they've entered into the promised land, but because they have been rebelling against God, they've found themselves under the oppressive power of these people, the Midianites. They are ruling over the Israelites. They've been cowering in their caves and living on the hillsides under the power and control of the Midianites. But then God calls Gideon to deliver Israel. But Gideon is a smart guy. He knows that the Israelites, they don't stand a chance against these Midianites. He knows that walking into any sort of a separation or leading a rebellion against them is not a smart thing to do. So he objects to this call from God. He uses the excuse that his family is too weak to start with. But God then answers back to him and he says, I will be with you. But that isn't enough for Gideon in that moment. God's saying, I'll be with you. No, he wants more. He wants an actual sign here. He wants to know, where's the proof, God, that you are going to really be with me? I need to see a sign here that you are going to act. And you can't blame the guy, I reckon, in many ways. You'd want to know, if it's a matter of life or death, you kind of want real proof that that you were going to be able to get through a situation unscathed uh, in the sense of, of life or death. And so, What Gideon does is he brings this offering before God as a part of the sign that God is to give him. And that brings us to our reading this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, it's Judges chapter 6, verse 19 through to 24. And we're going to read this through together. Judges chapter 6, 19 through to 24. Gideon went inside he prepared a young goat from an ephah of flour, that's about 16 kilos worth of flour, and he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in the basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him, to God, under the oak. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. Fire flared up from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized it was an angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign God, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. And so Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day it stands in the offer of the Abiez rites. So Gideon, he brings this offering before God and then 
this angel of the Lord comes to the party as well and he appears and he touches and consumes this, this offering that's brought before God under this oak tree. Now at this point, Gideon is, is freaked out. He's like, what is going on here? Uh, God has, has moved, he's shown him a sign, but he's used an angel as well and, and Gideon in this highly emotional state that he is in, of all the things you can think about when you see an angel of the Lord, he thinks he's going to die. And he is just not in a good place. I've seen an angel, oh no. But God says to him, peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. Maybe you can think of a time in your own life when you've maybe been a bit like Gideon. There's something really significant, or maybe not even really significant, just significant that is happening in your life. Maybe there's a breakdown in relationship somewhere. Maybe there's a loss of someone or something significant. Maybe there's, you, you're just going through a tougher time than normal or, or there, there is sickness around. And you're wondering what is going on. You might even be questioning God and saying, why is this thing happening to me in this moment, God? What is going on here? You might even be asking God for a sign. Just give me a sign, God. Give me anything so I know how to progress and move forward through this thing that I'm going through that I just don't want happening in my life. Now, from this example that we've just read, we can see that for Gideon and for the Israelites, what they had to learn was God's promise of his presence was enough. God, in in him saying to Gideon, I will be with you, that was actually enough for him and for the Israelites to come and, and face whatever challenges that they would have, including the oppressive, powerful, ruthless Midianites. And so for Gideon, he needed that reminder and then he built this altar as a visible sign to all of Israel and inscribed on this altar were these two words, Yahweh Shalom, the Lord our peace. When it comes to experiencing peace in our own lives, the presence of God is enough. His nearness is all that we need. I want us to hold on to that thought just for now because we're going to have, keep looking at shalom in, in light of the, the bigger picture of the Bible. What, what does shalom mean in terms of the grand narrative, the grand story of the Bible and what is going on here and how does it fit into things? Because if we know that shalom is God's original state for his creation and the way that he intended things to be, we know that they are complete. God declared them as good, they were complete. But we as humans, have messed up. Ash spoke about this last week. Uh, We, like sheep, we've gone astray. We've turned away from the good shepherd. We've wandered off. We've done our own thing. We've shamed God in our actions. And as a result, things are no longer in this state of shalom that God completed everything in. When Adam and Eve, the first people created, when they sinned, they found themselves for the first time in a new place. They were not in a, in a relation, right relationship with God. They were not in a right relationship with each other and they were not in a right relationship with God's creation. And these are the people who were given the task of fulfilling and subduing the earth, of ruling over all of creation, being God's good stewards, his stewards, his caretakers of everything that he had created. And here they were, being sent out from the garden, away from God's presence, away from the flourishing that existed. But thankfully we know God had a plan, didn't he? The prophet Isaiah, he he prophesied about the birth of Jesus and we've already spoken about about this um, in our time of worship. In Isaiah 9 verse 6, 
uh, Isaiah says that he will be called, Jesus will be called Prince of Peace. The Hebrew is even more literal in this translation. He will be called Prince of Shalom. And so sending Jesus to us was part of God's perfect plan. And Jesus is not just a prince who will come back one day and, and stop all fighting and war and conflict. He will come back and restore shalom to all things one day. But this is, is yet to happen. Right now, you and I, we find ourselves here in Brisbane, Australia, in this place each one of us a part of God's great story. We live in that space in time between when Jesus has been resurrected and ascended to heaven and the time when he will come again to earth. We live in this in-between time. And so what does this mean for us right now, knowing this picture? I think a really good place for us to start is by looking at what the actual Prince of Peace has to say about peace itself. Uh, and in John 14... Here we find Jesus. He's preparing himself at this particular point in in the Gospel of John. He's preparing himself for his impending death on the cross. And he makes three really big predictions to his disciples. He he predicts his death. He predicts that Judas is going to betray him. And then he also predicts that Simon Peter is going to deny him three times. And, and this is huge news for these disciples, for these people who believed that this guy was the Messiah, the promised one who was going to deliver and save all of Israel. This is huge news. They're like, what? You were going to die? What is going on here? And then we get to this verse where Jesus comforts his people. John 14, 26 to 27, Jesus says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus leaves his peace with us. He says he will give us his peace. But the peace that he's giving us is not like the peace that we see or we think about in our world. In this particular scripture, that word peace refers to the word shalom. And it's this idea of of the mission of, of Jesus really in coming to earth, to restore things to wholeness, to bring about equilibrium, to bring about a completeness to all things. And you know what's different about this type of peace? Nothing or no one else in the entire world can offer this type of peace that Jesus brings. He's the only person who could ever do it and mend our relationship with God. We try to find peace in so many different ways. I did a really quick Google search and like one of the top answers in finding peace listed 40 ways to find peace. Here's a few on the screen. You know, listen to music, that's a way to find peace. Go for a walk, enjoy nature, play with a pet, declutter, practice mindfulness, be true to you, love unconditionally, don't take yourself too seriously, live in the moment, worry less, speak your mind, let it go, adopt an attitude of gratitude. All of these things, they they might be admirable things, but they all have one thing that is in common, and that is that they only offer a worldly peace to us. They don't offer the type of peace that Jesus alone gives and brings. And so what is it about this peace that is different? What is it about uh, Jesus' peace that he offers to us and what does it look like for you and me? Well, it's a threefold peace that he offers to us. 
And the first thing he offers us is peace with God. You see, because of what Jesus, the Son of God, has done on the cross, he has restored a right relationship with us to God the Father. Jesus is that connection point for us. You know, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, because of what Jesus has done, we are no longer separated from God. We can have a right relationship with God again. He offers us peace with God. Jesus also offers us peace within. I went to the beach last week and, uh, with, with the family and... You know, those of you who've, who've been to the beach recently will know that the weather hasn't been that great, unless you're a surfer, of course. Nice choppy waves are always good. But my little daughter, she's six years old, she loves going for a swim like, like a lot of kids, like most kids do. And if there was a way that she was going to get in that water as choppy and it was rough and with, with all the rips and everything happening, she was going to get in that water. But she knew that if I was with her holding her hands in the water and, and, and helping her as those waves came before her and lifting her up and doing this kind of thing, she knew that, that if I was there with her and helping her out, that she'd be able to face these waves that were coming her way. Sure, she might have got a bit of water in her mouth that's my bad, but aside from that, she had this awareness that I was with her and she was able to follow through with it. And this is the same for us. Peace within is what Jesus offers us. This is a stillness. This is a quiet that exists in your heart. This is something that gives us the confidence in knowing that the Jesus is actually with us in every situation that we all uh, face in life. We have the assurance of his strength to be able to face hard times, to be able to withstand the opposition that comes towards us. The third type of peace that Jesus offers us is peace through the storms, the storms of life that come our way. Just as Jesus calmed the storm on the boat with the disciples, just as the disciples were able to withstand the persecution, the floggings, all of the stuff that they endured through, Jesus is the one who offers us peace through the storms and the trials and the troubles that we're going to face in life. You know, we might experience deep pain and trouble, but thanks to the peace that Jesus brings alone, we will not be emotionally overcome by it. That doesn't mean that we can't, uh, you know, feel that peace. It's not a visceral, emotive experience. We don't have to be stoic and, and, you know, rock solid in every situation. But this peace does allow us to withstand whatever is coming our way without retaliating, to act in a way that doesn't involve panic, to act in a way that doesn't uh, reflect that which someone doesn't have the peace of Jesus. And so he offers each one of us this particular peace and he leaves us with this wholeness. And so what we need to do is receive the peace of Jesus and allow it to permeate and to enter and saturate every single area of our lives. In our actions, receiving his peace. In our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our words, in the way we conduct ourselves around others, our perspectives, allowing the peace of Jesus to penetrate. Because when we receive the peace of Jesus, we can then be the peacemakers that he's called us to be. Jesus is the Prince of Peace who will return one day and restore shalom to all things. But in this time that we live in right now, you and I are called to play a part in this grand story. We are called to do our thing as the church and be a key part in this great biblical narrative. We're called to be peacemakers, to be agents of restoration 
We're called to faithfully improvise as we're guided by the Holy Spirit. We're called to bring about order from chaos, to be bringers of shalom, of that completeness and the wholeness and the peace that is only found in Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is the one who says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be children of God. What does it mean for us to be peacemakers today? I've got three things uh, before we finish up that the Bible says about, about being a peacemaker. The first one, being a peacemaker means promoting harmony. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, that if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so as peacemakers, we should honour others above ourselves. We should recognise the God-given value of each individual that we come across. And this means for us, we respect all people, not just the people we choose to respect or who we align with, we respect all people. Uh, It means that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and and, and celebrate God's goodness. I remember being like a a little young boy involved in Royal Rangers, which is like a a Christian Boy Scouts, and I had this leader who who just celebrated with me when I won an award. And for me, that just meant so much to know that someone, someone else was actually celebrating with me, and it just spurred me on. It gave me a deep sense of peace. Or we should mourn with those who need comforting. This is not easy. This is often messy. This is often difficult. It involves time. It involves energy. To do this, I believe that we actually need to be thinking about this idea of how, do, we, do we have margin in our lives? Do we have a period in time that is flexible? Or do we fill our lives up with so much stuff that, that when something comes along or a situation comes along where, um, where there is someone who needs comforting, we're not easily able to lend ourselves to doing that because everything is filled up in time. We should share with those who have needs. This means not looking at people or or others' needs as an inconvenience to us, but rather this is an opportunity, not an inconvenience. It's an opportunity to partner with Jesus. It's an opportunity for us to help restore things to wholeness. What is, what is it that you can share? It might be a tangible physical asset or something that you can share, but it also might be your own resources or what can you share personally with others. Point number two, being a peacemaker. It means reconciling people with God and with each other. Jesus said the greatest command is, is to love God and to love your neighbour as yourself. And so we should seek to love God by emulating copying the work of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5 verses 18 and 19, it says that God who reconciled us to himself through Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You see, while Jesus was on earth, he did this, didn't he? He restored relationships. He resolved differences. He brought about harmony. Ultimately, he dealt with our wrongdoing. He dealt with our guilt. He dealt with our shame so we could have that right relationship with God. And so we should follow his lead in being these ministers of reconciliation. We should plead with others to be reconciled with God because of the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And point number three, being a peacemaker means building bridges. 
We should be people who seek to create connections that are harmonious. Now, I think this is important for us to, to say because we need to remember a couple of things. We need to remember that living for Jesus actually looks different or should look different than living for the things of the world. So how do our words and our actions build bridges with those who are maybe living for the world and not break those bridges down? Because you're going to come across a lot of people in your lifetime who aren't going to agree with what you agree with. They're not going to agree with what you say. They're not maybe going to agree with what you think. And even as a Christian, they're probably not going to agree with some of your actions. And they think that, uh, that they are wrong. So how do we choose to respond to them? Are we seeking to restore shalom, to build bridges, to bring about wholeness? Or do we want to argue our side so we feel justified? so we feel like we've had our two cents worth. It's only when we partner with Jesus, the Prince of Shalom, that we will be able to do this, to to build bridges, to promote harmony in our communities and to reconcile with others and reconcile them to God as well. I want to invite the musicians uh, to come forward. And as they're coming forward now, uh, just in wrapping up, I want to speak to, to three groups of people this morning. Um, If there's anyone here today who has yet to know a relationship with Jesus and trust Him as Lord of your life, then He's inviting you today to know this particular peace that we've spoken about, that peace that passes all understanding. It's It's a peace that is beyond our understanding. It's a peace that doesn't just sit on the surface, it dwells deep down in our inner being, in our soul, and and you can have that peace because of what Jesus did on the cross in bringing and restoring your relationship with God. A second group of people I want to speak to are those who, who might feel like they haven't been a great or even a good peacemaker at times. Maybe there is even one particular area of your life that you can think of, that you can identify, that you know you're just not great at keeping the peace in. Maybe it's the words you use with, with, even with certain people. They haven't been peaceful words. Maybe it's your attitude towards others or towards situations that needs to be uh, adjusted. Maybe it's your thought life. Maybe a lot of your thoughts are hostile. If that's you today, I want to encourage you in our time of worship now to, to, be, to bring this before God. Bring it before Him and ask Him for forgiveness because He wants to be the one who restores completeness to you in that area so you can then be the peacemaker who goes and restores that wholeness to others. And finally, I want to encourage you, if you, if you call yourself a, a follower of Jesus, a, a Christian, then He, Jesus, has given you His peace. Believe that. He's given you his peace. Believe it and know it today. Not just up here in your head. Believe it deep down inside. Remember that in all situations that you come across. He's wanting you to step out boldly in your faith in him. To live that life that seeks to restore shalom and wholeness to all things. And in Jesus' strength alone, we can do this. As a church here in Bracken Ridge, in Jesus' strength alone, we can be the peacemakers, these agents of change that Jesus has called us to be for such a time as this. You know, these times that we're living in right now, they may not feel very peaceful to some of us. 
They might feel the complete opposite to many of us, but you know what? Our God is working. He is a God who is always at work. He is the Lord, our peace. He's Yahweh Shalom. He's always been Yahweh Shalom. And until that day when Jesus comes back, this is part of our charge as followers of his, to be peacemakers, to seek to restore equilibrium, wholeness and flourishing to all things. Let's pray together, shall we? Oh God, it is hard at, at times in our lives to know and to see peace, not just around us, Lord, but within ourselves as well. But we want to thank you, God, for the peace that you offer. We thank you for sending the Prince of Peace. We thank you that we can know completeness and wholeness that comes from you. And we thank you that your plan is a good plan that involves bringing things to completeness, bringing things to wholeness. And this is a challenge, God. We need your help. So I pray for my brothers and sisters that as we seek to be peacemakers in our world, Lord, will we be people who step out boldly in your name? Will we be people who think about how it is that we are responding and acting? Would we be these agents of peace? Will we follow your example, Jesus? This isn't going to be easy, but we know that we have the promise that you will be with us. And so, God, will we know that this morning? And for those who need a change in, in an area of their life, God, I pray that you'd work even now, God. You've, you've brought that thing to our mind. You've convicted of us, us of it. And so, God, we want to hand it over to you deal with that area of our life that we're not being a peacemaker in. Transform us. Only you can do it, God. But would you do it so that way we might be those people that you've called us to be? And we pray all these things now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.